<clears throat> some tragic events have happened over the last few years that has brought something to the national spotlight. Something re it's regarding justice, and uh, because of that, it's, it's created these competing slogans that you hear uh, going on in, in the country today, you know, such as Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter. Now, at face value, every one of us as followers of Christ should, should uh, affirm each one of these statements. There should not be an offense with any of them because the fact of the matter is that God treasures every single life. No matter who they are, God treasures them. The Bible says that, but God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Paul tells us in Galatians 3, verse 28, that in Christ Jesus, this is a paraphrase, in Christ Jesus, there's neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So we know that God treasures every life, whether they be black, brown, yellow, white, or somewhere in between, God treasures it. But and because he treasures life, he commands his followers to seek justice for those who need justice. However, some people have created this argument of Black Lives Matter because in, in their opinion, the where this comes from is that they see that there are many injustices in society that are not being addressed, not being dealt with in a way that they think they should be dealt with. And they believe that these injustices are things that are deeply rooted within our country. And so, so they create this slogan, Black Lives Matter, because they, they seek to strongly emphasize that black lives do matter. In a world that says all lives matter, they want to make sure that everybody understands that we matter too. We matter. You know, however, other people hear that, that slogan and they come up with something, something else. Uh, you know, uh, s some people come up with a slogan called All Lives Matters. And, and that's their response uh, to this. Because some people think they look at Black Lives Matter and uh, they think that Black Lives Matter more than other lives. So they come up with a slogan that all lives matter. And what they're intending to communicate with that is that, that all lives do matter, but it's inappropriate to single out one particular group over another group. And, and when people say all lives matter, uh, they come back and say, how could anyone view that slogan as offensive? But to, to other individuals, they believe that by emphasizing all lives matters, it de-emphasizes the injustices that are put on a black community or a minority. This morning, we're going to continue our series on issues of the heart. Uh, we're going to look at this thing today under the heading, What Does God Say About Racism? What does God say about racism? Y'all know it exists, right? We know it exists. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Again, we go back to the beginning, the way God created it. Before all this thing came in the world that we call sin, we go back to Genesis chapter 1, specifically verse 26 and verse 27. This is what God's Word says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, 
in our likeness. Then down to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. These verses are the foundation. These verses are the foundation for so many things we look at is in life in general. A foundational passage is that we are all created in the image of God. Every man, every woman, every child is created in the image of God. Genesis 10 expands this concept a little bit more when it talks about, about mankind. Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 10, verse 31, this was right after the time of the flood. It talks about the people were divided. This is what it says that God did. The people were divided by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. But all these individuals trace their ancestry, they trace their roots back to one family, Noah and his three sons who trace their ancestry all the way back to Adam and Eve. So every tribe, every language, every clan, every territory, every nation has their roots in Noah and his three sons all the way back to Adam and Eve. So well, what, 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 what Genesis is trying to bring out, so from the very beginning, that's the way it was. And Paul references this. In Acts chapter 7, verse 26, Paul said this, from one man, he, God, made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. So from the very beginning, God created one race of people that is filled with diversity. Filled with diversity. It's a diverse group of people, and we are that, are we not? Probably even right here in this room, there's diverse people. We are diverse. We have different languages. We have different cultures. We have various skin colors. But all those different people, all those different languages, all those different cultures, all those various skin colors originate from the same two people, Adam and Eve. And guess what? They are created in the image of God, every one of them. And Jesus came to this world to unite all mankind under one Father the creator of all. He created him in the image of God. That's why he says, as he leaves this world, he tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Actually, that word nations is the word ta ethne in English, of all people groups, of all ethnic people. Go make disciples of all people. No matter where they live, uh, no matter how they live, no matter what color their skin or what language they communicate, we ought to make disciples of those individuals. Racism does not exist in God. God sees the heart. God sees what's in individuals. Now, I recognize that the, the, what we're experiencing in society today is very difficult. And it's hard to explain. It's an extremely complex situation. And I'm probably not going to be able to deal with it in one sermon on one Sunday. It's not going to happen. It's a very complex issue. But I want you to know that prejudices and stereotypes and discrimination and racism are not new. They have been around forever. They were around in New Testament times. Let me introduce you to a group of individuals called the Samaritans. 
The Samaritans are, uh, were extremely hated by the Jewish people. Uh, let, me, let me explain to you uh, the situation with the Samaritans. The Samaritans came about about 700 years before the time of Jesus. In a time whenever Babylon came in and, and, and destroyed the land of Israel... And they took into captivity the majority of the people of Israel, and they deported them to Babylon. But they didn't take everybody. They left behind a group of Jews in that land, and then they brought in other conquered people from another land, and they put them there in that area. And then the Jews and this other people group, they began to intermarry. Intermarry, and, and, and it created a, a, I guess we call a mongrel. It created a biracial, a bi-ethnic group of people who were not in the eyes of the Jews. They were not pure Jews. They were Samaritans. They were not pure. And so after the 70 years of, of, the, of, the, uh, of that has taken place, of the exile taken place, the Jews began coming back to the land of Israel, and they discovered within Judah and within Jerusalem these, these half-breed people that they didn't like. And, and so they began to move them out. But, but we need to understand there's more going on here because it wasn't just that they were, they were ethnically different. They had a different religion. The Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's all they accepted. They rejected everything else. And so they also took in the other religions of these other people that they intermingle with, and they had kind of a syncretism of their religion. This was, Jews could not tolerate that. This was a defiled religion. They were defiled people. They were defiled religion. And so they could not take it. So when they came back from the exile and they saw these individuals, they ran them out of Jerusalem. They ran them out of Judah. And these individuals, these half-breeds, wound up in the country of the land of Samaria. There was a capital, Samaria. It became known as Samaria, which became known as the Samaritans. Now you know the history behind all that. And the Jews had such animosity toward the Samaritans that they would literally bypass their country to get to where they want to go. I got a slide I want to show you. This is for all you Sunday school people. Uh, I'm sorry this one's out, but you look on the bottom, we got the land of Judea. The yellow is the land of Samaria, and the green is the land of Galilee. Now, if a good Jew lived in Judea, he's in Jerusalem, and he wanted to go to Galilee, he's got a problem. That means he's got to go through Samaria. But the Jews hated Samaria so much that what they would do, you see over the east, over here, on the east, running north and south from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea is the Jordan River. So what a good Jew would do is they would cross the Jordan River in Judea, walk north, and then they would cross the Jordan River again to get into Galilee. They would not go through the land of Samaria. It, was defi it would defile them. They could not do it. They would go out of their way to avoid walking through their land. They would go out of their way to avoid contact with Samaritans. I guess for us, it'd be like if you wanted to go up, up, up north and you didn't want to go down through East Waco, you'd take Lakeshore Drive around it. Or you take 35, because I'm definitely not going to drive down 84. I'm not going to drive down Franklin. I'm not going to drive down Bosque. I'm not going to. Why? Because my car might break down, and you know what happens then, right? I'm being facetious, but you know I'm speaking the truth. 
This is what they would do. They would do that. The Jews despised the Samaritans and would go to great lengths to avoid contact with them. But then Jesus comes along and he begins to shatter the, stereo, shatter the stereotypes. He begins to break down walls. Instead of building walls, he breaks down walls. And listen, if we are going to break the cycle of racism that exists today, we must strive to be like Jesus, and we must do what Jesus did. Open your Bibles to John chapter 4. Out of John chapter 4, I want to give you, and I could give you a lot more, but I'm going to give you three. I'm going to give you three steps to break barriers and build bridges to those who are different than us. Breaking barriers and building bridges to those who are different from us. The first thing, to break down racism, you must go outside your comfort zone. To break down racism, you must go outside your comfort zone. Verses 1 through 4 serves as a backdrop for us. John chapter 4, 1 through 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Remember the map? Remember our map? He went back to Galilee. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. You might want to underline. You might want to circle. You might want to highlight. Jeremy, I know that's hard for you, my brother, but you may want to think about this, all right? Had, he had to go. He had to go. You might, because that's, that's the key to understanding this passage. Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? He could have crossed the Jordan River, walked north, and then went west back over the Jordan River to enter Galilee. That was comfortable. That's what people always did. There's only one possible answer. It wasn't that he couldn't cross the Jordan River. It's that he had got his marching orders from someone else. Someone else had told him what he had to do. Nine times in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us he only did what God told him to do. Flip over real quick to John 14, 31. 14, 31. Jesus is talking. He said, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Circle that phrase. I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. On a side note, you can put this in the phrase, the world must learn that I love God and I do exactly what he tells me to do. That's a good, good word for you this morning. He wanted everybody to know that, hey, I, I, you know, I, I love my father. And because I love my father, I do exactly what he's commanded me to do. So that means, back over in chapter 4, that he had to go through Samaria. Why? Because his father had commanded him to do so. He said, I'm commanding you to do this. And Jesus provides us a wonderful example of how to break down walls. He provides us a wonderful example of how to, how to break down barriers and build bridges. He shatters the stereotypes of us and them. He breaks it down. In order to do so, 
he had to go through Samaria. He had to leave his comfort zone. It would be much more comfortable for him to go the familiar route. That would be the easiest thing for him to do. It wouldn't cause any conflict. It wouldn't cause any struggles. It's much easier to associate with those who are like him instead of those who are not like him. If we are going to break down racism, we must be willing to go outside our comfort zone. I remember one time in, in a brief interlude when I was without a, when it's, I was not pastoring, I was serving as a chaplain. I began to sense that God wanted me back into the pastorate. And so uh, I preached at a, at a local church and, and a, a pulpit committee came and listened to me. And we sat down afterwards and had lunch. And as we were visiting, you know, I just, I'd, I'd done my backs, I'd done my study on the, on the community, and I learned that it was a community of 70% was Hispanic and 30, 30% was white. So I knew the direction this conversation had to go. Uh, so I, I, I said, what are you doing to reach the Hispanic community? Are Hispanic people welcome in this church? Because they didn't have any. And they said, yes, they are. And then my wife asked a, a very, a, a more pertinent question. Because having coming out of the Spanish culture, uh, for the time we lived in Guatemala, she said, if some, if some Hispanic women came to your church and they wanted to sit on the front row and play their tambourines, would they be welcome? And without missing a beat, they said they would not be welcome to do that in our church. Gabby and I kind of looked at one another side of her eye, and we knew this was not the place that was willing to get outside their comfort zone to reach people. They weren't willing to do it. And we knew that was not the place that God was going to call us. Fortunately, they never contacted me again. So I didn't have to make that decision for that. Here's the point. Have you erected barriers between you and someone else? It could be a racial barrier. It could be a cultural barrier. It could be a religious barrier. Have you erected a barrier between you and someone else? Why don't you, instead of building barriers, why don't you try to build bridges? Why don't you try to go outside your comfort zone and reach those individuals? To whom could you show the unconditional love of Jesus Christ to? To whom could you do it? How? Can you do it in, in a very practical and a meaningful way? I will assure you this, my friends. It will not be easy, but it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Second truth. To break down racism, you must go beyond your social circle. It wasn't bad enough that Jesus made a decision to go through Samaria. He began to interact with the Samaritans. You know... If he wanted to just cut through, Galilee, cut through Samaria to get to Galilee quickly, at least he could have avoided the people, right? I mean, at least he didn't have to stop and, and begin communicating. You know, eyes forward, look straight ahead, don't be deterred, just get through there as quick as you can. But he didn't do that. Look at verses 5 through 9 of this passage. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. John seemed like he had to had that, add that in there so we would understand. Jews did not associate with Samaritans. They did not hang out together. They did not talk to one another. They did not get along. Uh, they couldn't talk politics. They couldn't talk religion. They did not see eye to eye. They traveled in completely different circles. It just didn't happen. It, it would be like here in Texas, you can't be a Longhorn fan and an Aggie fan at the same time. You just can't do it. Those two are diametrically opposed. You can't do it. Uh, you can be a Baylor fan and a Texas fan, but you can't be an, a Longhorn fan and an Aggie fan. You just can't do it. Uh, you, uh, Josh, you understand, Alabama, Auburn, they do not go together. Uh, you're either one or the other, and the two do not mix. Uh, and it's almost heresy if you marry into that family. You know, uh, so this is the situation. And I, I'm, I'm making light of it, but I think you understand the humorous situation that we're talking about. They do not get along. So, but Jesus goes outside his comfort zone, but he also goes outside his social circle. And if you think it's bad now, it's going to get worse. Because not only did Jesus talk to a Samaritan, he talked to a Samaritan woman. That's even worse. Jews, the rabbis, would not even teach women. And here Jesus is reaching out to a woman. So it's bad. He's talking to a Samaritan. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. But guess what? It gets even worse. As, as we go on and look at it, not only was she a Samaritan, not only was she a Samaritan woman, but as verse 18 reveals, she was an immoral Samaritan woman. She'd been married five times, and as verse 18 tells us, the man that she was living with now was not her husband. Are you getting the picture? She's an immoral woman. Jesus, here, here's the situation. Jesus is hanging out at a well all alone with an adulterous Samaritan woman. We ought to fire the guy is what we ought to do. You don't do those kind of things. You just don't do it. She's got three strikes against her. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. She's immoral. She ought to be called out. And there's good reasons to believe that from the perspective of the Jews, she should have been avoided. And what makes the situation even worse is that Jesus initiates the conversation. He asks you to have any water for me to drink. Will you give me a drink? And as we go through the passage, we have good reason to believe that the Samaritans even shunned this woman. Verse 6 tells us it was about the sixth hour. Why is that in there? That'd be about noon. Why is that in there? Because normally women would go to the well in the cool of the evening at 6 o'clock. That's when they come. They would never go during the heat of the day. They would go in the cool of the evening. She went at 12 at noon. Why? Because she didn't want to have to deal with the gossip of the other women. So she avoided them, and they avoided her. This is the situation that, that we see. She, this is, woman is an outcast amongst outcasts. That's who she is. If there was anyone anyone that Jesus should have avoided on the entire planet, this was the woman. 
This was a person, a Samaritan woman in moral. He should have avoided her. But he was willing to go beyond his social circle in order to break down the barriers that existed in the people. I think I've shared this story before, but it's worth sharing again because it's so powerful. In Mahatma Gandhi's autobiography, he says he began studying the teachings of Jesus while he was a student in college. And as he began studying the teachings of Jesus, he, found, he thought that they, he had found in the teaching of Jesus a solution to the caste system that divided the people of India. And so he determined that he was going to go to a church and visit that church and ask about becoming a Christian. This is what he says in his autobiography about becoming a Christian. And as he entered into the church and he entered into the auditorium, the white usher refused to seat him and told him, said, you might need to find a place of your own color. And Gandhi walked out. And then he wrote this. If Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. If Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. And he went on to be the most influential person ever in India. Can you imagine what would have happened? Can you imagine what would have happened if that Christian usher would have just gave him a seat? I don't know about you. I don't think I'd want to be in that usher's shoes when he stands before Christ at the judgment seat. Who can you reach out to beyond your social circle? Who do you need to reach out to? For most of us, someone that doesn't go to, go to church is beyond our social circle. If they don't go to church, uh, they're beyond our, our social circle. But it's time, my friends, that we break down barriers. And it's time that we build bridges and show people the unconditional love of Christ. What do you think would happen if you did that? What do you think your friends would say? What do you think your family would say? What do you think your church would do? How would the people and how would the church respond? Leads us our third truth. To break down racism, you might have to go it alone. To break down racism, you might have to go it alone. Look at the disciples' reaction to Jesus. Or look at the, what happened, verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? They were shocked. They could not believe that Jesus was talking to this woman. Now, no one said what they were thinking, but their faces revealed what was going on. Remember, John's writing this. He was amongst the ones that was doing it. Previously, John wanted to call down fire upon the Samaritans. That tells you what he thought about them. The disciples were blown away. Here is this man who they believed to be the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the one who was going to save the people of Israel, was going to liberate the people of Israel. And here he is talking to an adulterous Samaritan woman all alone at a well. And they're shocked. Did they join Jesus in the conversation? As we go on and look at the past, you say, they didn't even speak to Jesus until after the woman left. They didn't involve themselves in the conversation. 
they, they didn't even bring up the subject about that. As a matter of fact, what it says in the Bible says, uh, what do you have to eat? They didn't even talk. What were you talking to that woman for? Well, what was going on here? They said, what did you have to eat? They wanted to pretend that it will go away. They want to pretend that this event never happened. And by their actions, they revealed their prejudices. By their actions, they revealed their racism. Jesus was not going to have their support in building bridges to the Samaritan community. It wasn't going to happen. Jesus was going to have to go it alone. And many believe that he paid the price because of that. A few chapters over, I think it's chapter 8, that we see that the, the, the Jewish leaders are crying this out to Jesus. Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Can you imagine that? He's a Samaritan and he's demon-possessed. Now, I don't know where they got that idea that he was a Samaritan. Perhaps it came from this idea. Or maybe it came from the story of the Good Samaritan. Wherever they came up with that idea, this is what they believed about Jesus. Can you get the picture? Okay, can you get the picture of the Jews mocking him? He's a Samaritan lover. Hey, uh, I told you that guy was just a crazy Samaritan lover. That was not a term of, a, a term of endearment. It was a term of derision. I remember in one church where I served, first church, you know, some of you know where that's at, some of you didn't matter. Um, the first church I served at, I, 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 preached, I preached and we met with the committee to talk. And I, I did my homework and I discovered that the city was divided along racial lines. The white people lived north of the town, the black people lived south of town. And the two did not cross. Um, and, and so I went there, I did my homework, and, and we were talking with this uh, great people. And I asked them uh, the question, I said, would a black person be welcome in our church or in this church? They hesitated. And they did not answer immediately. Then finally, a, a, a godly, dear senior saint spoke up. And I quote what she said. Well... I think a negra would be welcome in our church as long as they weren't coming to cause problems. And then everybody in the group agreed. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I, I, I wound up being pastor of that church. And I've been there a year and a half, two years, loving on the people, trying to make a difference in our community, doing all the things that, you know, new pastors do uh, and trying to do that when I met a lady by the name of Lily. Lily was just a godly woman, loved the Lord. She just so happened to be African-American. I invited Lily to church. Lily came to church. And I met her, you know, talked with her, a great woman. And then Lily came again to church. And then she came again to church. I was hoping, I was hoping, I said, oh, Lord, you know, I pray that they're willing to break down the barrier. Lord, I pray that this won't, won't be a problem. You know, I was a new pastor. I didn't know what I was doing, you know. I was just doing what I felt God wanted me to do. And then Lily did something amazing. She became a member of our church. But that's not the end of the story. Lily became a dear member of our church, and she even became a Sunday school teacher. And we begin to see the change happen 
in that little church. Listen, it's the same way with us. Sometimes in order to break down the barriers, we got to go it alone. You may not have anybody that will go with you, but you go it alone. We cannot stand up and say all lives matter until we genuinely reach past ethnic, racial, and cultural boundaries and demonstrate that we believe what we say. You can't do it. We can condemn Black Lives Matters all we want, but if we're not willing to bridge the gap, guess what? We're telling them that they don't matter. That's what we're telling them. And we, we can't do that. Jesus had to go it alone. He didn't have the support of the religious leaders. And he did not have the support even of his disciples. Jesus had to go it alone. And if in following Jesus' example, that means that no one will go with us. Are you prepared to go it alone? Are you prepared to do what only you can do? You know, there's a great hymn that we sing. Uh, you know it. I have decided to follow Jesus. You know that old hymn? You remember the line in, 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 the, in, the, in the verse that says, Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. We sing it. We believe it, but do we do it? Will we walk that path if no one goes with us? Will we do it? Jesus went outside his comfort zone. He went beyond his social circle and he went it alone. What was the result? Look at verse 39. The woman goes back into her little community and she tells the people, and it says, verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Listen, they didn't believe in the woman. They believed in him. Why? Because she shared a testimony. She shared her faith. She shared what she'd learned, and people believed in Jesus. If you have harbored prejudices against other people, let me encourage you that people can change. People can change. Jesus shattered the stereotypes of us and them. And he did it alone. The question I ask you today, does he still have to go it alone? Or are you willing to go with him? Wherever that might lead you, are you willing to go it alone? That's God's challenge to you. That's God's challenge to us. You know, one thing you might do, and you might come to the second service every now and then and notice the racial diversity in that second service of some of the sweetest individuals I've ever met and our little Nigerian students. And we have others in there as well. God is shattering the barriers between us and them. But we got to do our part. Though none go with me, Still, I will follow. That's God's challenge to you, and that's God's challenge to me. What's God telling you to do this morning? Maybe for some of you, you need a heart transplant. You need for God to take away that heart of stone you have toward other races, other ethnic, other languages, other religious people. And God, transform my heart into a heart of love for these people. 
because you need to see them as an individual that God loves. They are in the image of God. They are your brother. They are your sister. And you've got to see them as that. For some of you, you say, God, change my heart. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever new. Change my heart, oh God. Some of you need to do that this morning. Others of you, you're looking for a place of ministry. You're looking for a place of service. You're looking for a place where you can be a part of a church that, that's trying to make a difference in our community. We're not there yet. Hey, we're not there. I don't know if we'll ever get there, but we will not rest. We will not stop until we've tried everything that we can to bridge the gap, to bridge the barrier, to break down barriers and to build bridges to our community. Whatever God is leading you to do, we want to invite you to come. As Kip comes to lead us,